if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's Always Right Radio. It is a Friday, and it's really not much of a free-for-all because we are loaded. Uh, absolutely jam-packed with guests. Coming up, Janet Folger-Porter for Congress. Going to be joining us at 9.35 to talk about that race. Uh, Stephanie Fouché and Sarah Chambers, the two lead complainants against uh, the hat, uh, otherwise known as Joe Blystone. The hat uh, committed a whole bunch of campaign finance election violations, according to the allegations and according to the letter sent by the Secretary of State to his campaign, ordering the return of over $101,000 in ill-gotten campaign contributions, maybe another 130000 behind that. And uh, the hat's uh, explanation is, of course, uh, we're innocent. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. After all, I'm just a farmer. <laughs> uh, really, uh, that's essentially the defense. Yesterday, there was a hearing before the Elections Commission on this, and probable cause was found three to nothing in a unanimous vote to advance to a full hearing in front of the Elections Commission on uh, May 2nd, the day before the actual uh, May primary. So we're going to talk to Stephanie Fouché, Sarah Chambers, and... Sarah's attorney, Scott Pullins, about these allegations and lawsuits filed against Sarah Chambers by the Blystone campaign in response to all of this. So we're going to try to get to the bottom of that. Then we're going to get reaction to all of the above by uh, uh, Jack Windsor of the Ohio Press Network. Jack is going to join us to talk about that, as well as some very interesting happenings um, involving Jane Timken's Senate campaign, President Trump, a potential cease and desist order, endorsements, and at the center of it all, the coward at the uh, helm of the Ohio Republican Party, Bob Paduchik. We have been waiting for a while. What are we, what are we up to, Johnny? About 31, 32 days? We've been on hold? 31. 31 days on hold. Uh, in other words, we have been reaching out with phone calls and or emails and or text messages or whatever we can to the office of the ORP chair, uh, Bully Bob Paducek, to come on and answer some of the tough questions. He doesn't like tough reporters. He doesn't like reporters or interviewers who don't bend and kiss his ring. 
Um, and so he tries to have them banned from uh, various ORP events and from covering uh, events like President Trump's visit to Delaware. Tomorrow, Bob Paduchik is seeking to kick reporters out if they're not going to be 100% positive for his chosen uh, uh, candidates like Governor Mike DeWine. So Bully Bob is doing his bullying best to try to uh, destroy that for everyone. Jack Windsor will tell us about it coming up at um, 10.35 this morning. And then at 11.10, we're going to talk to David Freeman, who wants to talk to us about a host of things, and not the least of which uh, is the Convention of States. And so all of that coming up uh, on the program today. So we get one, two, three, four, five, six guests, although three of them are at one time, as we talk about the situation involving the hat and uh, the campaign violations that he has allegedly committed. But that's not where I'm going to start. You know where I'm going to start? It's Earth Day. Hey, happy birthday. Can you dig it? Earth Day. 52 years old now, Earth Day is. The first one was in 1970. And I think it's time for a look back at what has happened since the very first Earth Day. And we'll see if we are on a path for destruction the way we were told that we would be on that first Earth Day. And I'll explain what I mean by that after I ask you, as a patriot, to rise and face your flag, wherever it is that you may have one. An image of the flag is just fine, too. And if you can't find one, that's all right. Just close your eyes and imagine one. But put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance as we do everything we can to save this republic against those who wish to fundamentally transform it, otherwise known as destroying it. And if you are among the destroyers, you are excused from this pledge. We know you don't believe in liberty anyway. You go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. Happy Earth Day to everybody. You celebrate this day by doing what? Do you do you start a new compost or something in your backyard, or do you... Uh, I, I don't mean to make fun of it. I just need to make fun of those who believe that and who continue to try to sell the propaganda and the fear that we are killing the planet. The first Earth Day was held 52 years ago in 1970. In this terrific analysis of what they said then and where we are now was done by the American thinker. And I want to share some of this with you. On the first Earth Day... April 22, 1970, the world was warned that billions would die soon because of the disastrous ice age that was coming. The earth had been cooling for 30 years, they said, and it was about to get much worse. Crops would not survive the ice age, so the people couldn't be fed. The earth was cooling even though CO2 and the population and fossil fuel consumption were rising rapidly which we are told causes warming. But on Earth Day 1970, we were told it was causing cooling. The complicit media then dutifully repeated the warnings to scare the public with no questions and no research. The warnings were 100% wrong because they were wags 
wild A guesses instead of being based on scientific data. You see, 50 years prior to that, in 1922, in the Washington Post, this appeared. Again, with no research, no questioning of the data, no scientific facts, before they published this piece in the Washington Post. Quote, The Arctic Ocean is warming. Icebergs are growing scarcer, and in some places the seals are finding the water too hot. Reports from fishermen and seal hunters all point to a change in climate conditions, global warming, and unheard of temperatures in the Arctic zone. Great masses of ice have been replaced by moraines of earth and stone, while at many points, well-known glaciers have entirely disappeared. End quote. That was the Washington Post in 1922. In 1989, the U.N. essentially gave the exact same warnings as the ones in 1922. And again, the sycophant media reported it to scare the public with no questions asked, because they don't care when they're campaigning for a leftist agenda to destroy America. The predictions in 1922 and 1989 were 100% wrong, just like the predictions on the very first Earth Day in 1970, because they were all wags. Wild A guesses. It is scientifically impossible for fossil fuel consumption and rising CO2 to cause both cooling and warming. Yet that's what we continue to be told. Despite all of the false predictions, the indoctrination never stops. The U.N. is doubling down in 2022 with the same predictions from 1922 and from 1989. And again, we only have a few years left to live. And again, the compliant, worthless media just repeats and scares uh, the the population with these predictions with no questions asked because facts haven't mattered for a very long time when it comes to climate. Only power for Democrats. With the world on track to blaze past its climate goals, only immediate sweeping societal transformation can stave off catastrophic warming. The solution for Democrats, whether it's warming or cooling, is always to take more money and freedom away from the people and transfer it to the greedy, powerful government. They will gladly reduce our quality of life if they get more control. They would rather have people dependent upon upon them for kickbacks than give people more opportunities to move up the economic ladder. They always claim it's for the common good. They claim they are for reducing inequality. But the politicians and bureaucrats always come out ahead. The two richest counties are Loudoun County and Falls Church City in Virginia, which are just outside Washington city limits. They have an average household income of 140,000 uh, between 140,000, I beg your pardon, 140,000 for Loudoun County, 137,005 for uh, Falls Church. Wealthy people like the Obamas live there. They build and purchase expensive coastal properties on Martha's Vineyard and Hawaii. While they lecture us that we are destroying the planet and coastal properties will soon be underwater. And we have to reduce our carbon footprint to stop this. They literally make that up because who who believes that the coastal properties are going to be underwater spends millions to build more on coastal properties. 
The media never questions those decisions. So here are some of the predictions from the first Earth Day, 1970. And again, just to remind you, in 1922, climate scientists said, we are going to burn. This planet is going to burn. Global warming, if unless mankind changes its ways dramatically, global warming is going to kill all life on Earth, and this planet cannot sustain itself. That was in 1922. Fifty years later, in 1970, the planet is freezing. Global war or global cooling is about to uh, uh, be, go beyond uh, human capabilities of survival. The planet will be in ice, uh, encased in ice, and it's all because of CO2 emissions. Then, 50 years, well, not 50, but about uh, 30 years, 35 years later, uh, in 1989, they reversed back to the 1922 model. Global warming is going to burn us alive. This whole planet is going to melt. The planet has a fever. You remember that one, right? All of that is going to happen because of CO2 emissions. So here is 1970, April 22nd, 1970, a few of the predictions from the first Earth Day compiled by the American Enterprise Institute. Harvard biologist George Wald estimated that civilization will end within 15 to 30 years. This, again, was now 52 years ago. Quote, we are in an environment crisis that threatens the survival of the nation and of the world as a suitable place for human habitation, according to Washington University biologist Barry Commoner. Again, offering zero in the way of scientific fact. Three, the day after the first Earth Day, April 23, 1970, the New York Times editorial page wrote, when uh, man must stop pollution and conserve his resources, not merely to enhance existence, but to save the race from intolerable deterioration and possible extinction. Paul Ehrlich confidently declared in the April 1970 issue of Mademoiselle, population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increases in food supplies we make. The death rate will increase until at least 100 to 200 million people per year will be starving to death during the next 10 years. Mind you, this was in 1970. Most of the people who are going to die in the greatest cataclysm in the history of man have already been born. Ehrlich wrote in his 1969 essay entitled Eco-Catastrophe. By 1975, some experts believe food shortages will have escalated the present level of world hunger and starvation into famine of unbelievable proportions. Other experts, more optimistic, think the ultimate food population collision will not occur until the decade of the 1980s. It's now 2022. I could go on. There's 15 different, no, correction, there's 18 different points that are made. These are all predictions made by the world's leading climate scientists, or at least the world's leading climate opinion makers. In 1970, the day of the first Earth Day, April 22nd of of 1970. And here we are, 52 years later, having enjoyed, essentially, over the course of the last hundred years, perhaps the most stable climate that anyone could ever imagine. It has changed not one degree, uh, or excuse me, not uh, barely over one degree um, uh, on the Celsius scale from a hundred year, years ago. That's pretty stable. 1.8 is absolutely very, very stable. 
but all of the earth um you know uh, the the predictors and the experts who said the earth is going to either melt or it's going to freeze have no answer whatsoever yet here we are in 2022 and what is the left doing they're all gathering their celebrities on their private jets to carbon their way to a meeting where they can all talk about how the carbon that is being emitted in this uh, in this in this world and here in this United States in particular how it's going to kill us all they were wrong in 22 they were wrong in 70 they were wrong in 89 and now they're just going to continue to double down triple down quadruple down on it in 2022 so i just want to wish everyone a happy earth day and, and, and in case I don't get a chance to see you, um, God bless you, in case we're all dead in five years because we have not yet cut our carbon emissions satisfactorily to satisfy the Earth Climate Chicken Little uh, Brigade. If we're all going to die and we are either going to burn or melt or, or, or freeze or something, it's been great knowing you. I don't know if we're going to be around for another Earth Day. If you listen to the alarmists, we probably won't be. I have this story linked, by the way, to alwaysright.us. Take a look at it for yourself. Share it, if you will. Put it on your social media. Earth Day 2022. Looking back 52 years ago, we're supposed to be dead by now. And this uh, and this planet is supposed to have been frozen. Share that. Alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. We'll come back right after this on Always Right Radio. Nine twenty-seven now. Always right radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Um, I hate to share this with you because it's disturbing, but I'm going to share a piece of audio with you that is going to let you know just exactly how much trouble we are in. If you gauge a nation's stability and security on its leadership. Yesterday, President Joe, let's go, Brandon, was asked a question about a border policy. You know what Title 42 is. Everybody knows what Title 42 is. They announced at the White House a few days ago that Title 42 was going to be ended. It was going to be ended on May 23rd. And when Title 42 ends, we were told, the number of illegal border crossers, which is currently around 7,000 per day, is going to jump to around 18,000 per day because Title 42 is one of the few tools that were left to actually try to limit the flow of illegals across the border. It had to do with COVID protections. So the reporter asked President Let's Go Brandon yesterday about ending Title 42. Joe Let's Go Brandon answered a question about masking on public transportation. Literally. He does not know what Title 42 is. What you're going to hear is disturbing because, I mean, it's going to be funny, too, because you just can't help but laugh at this kind of, uh, you know, idiocy. But it's disturbing because the President of the United States, who is supposed to be making decisions on things like Title 42, doesn't know what Title 42 is. By his own words, listen. President, on Title 42, sir, are you considering delaying lifting Title 42? No, what I'm considering is continuing to hear from my, uh, my, uh, well, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department. 
because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if, in fact, it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we'd be able to do that. But there has been no decision on extending Title 42. The President of the United States is supposed to be the one making decisions. He doesn't know what they are. If there has ever been a more clear piece of evidence that somebody else is running policy in the White House, and it's not Joe Let's Go Brandon, then I don't know what it is. This is the the clearest evidence yet that he is not making the decisions. He is not running the show. He's asked about Title 42, and he thinks Title 42 references the mask mandate that was lifted by a federal judge and is now going to be appealed by the Department of Justice. And he said he's going to let the scientists decide whether or not Title 42 should be lifted. Science has nothing to do with border policy. He literally doesn't know what Title 42 is, and he's the one who's supposed to be making the decision as to whether or not it remains or if uh, uh, lifting it is delayed. That's what the original question from the reporter was. Because literally just in the last three days of the news cycle, some Democrats have called for a delay in lifting Title 42 because they know that more and more illegal aliens coming across the border is A, bad for the country, and B, bad for them and their reelection prospects in November. They know what Title 42 is. Joe, let's go, Brandon, does not. Are you considering delaying No, what I'm considering is continuing to hear from my, uh, my uh, well, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department. Because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if, in fact, it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we'd be able to do that. But there has been no decision on extending Title 42. He has no idea what it is. None. And my friends, I would just sit here and mock this and make fun of it and load it up on my webpage under, can you believe what this idiot just said? And I did that. But I don't want to laugh at it because it's too troublesome that the leader of this country has no idea what that is. All right, time out for news. Always Right Radio back. Going to talk politics. Going to talk about congressional races. Janet Folger Porter will join us next day in 1420 The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420 The Answer. I'm Janet Folger Porter, and I woke up to find out that we got censored again today from YouTube. What a shock. Well, there's a place where I won't be censored. It's this Friday night at 7 at St. Luke's Church in Copley, Ohio. It's at 3810 Ridgewood Road in Copley. I look forward to seeing you there because there's a lot of information that YouTube wouldn't let you hear, uh, but I'm going to present how we can take our country back It's why I'm running for Congress, and I look forward to seeing you Friday at St. Luke's Church in Copley, Ohio, on the 22nd, this Friday at 7 p.m., and the address 3810 Ridgewood Road in Copley, St. Luke's Church, Friday night. Can't wait to see you. 
What better way to introduce a congressional candidate than to let her introduce herself by way of a campaign video on her website, JanetFoldReporter.com. And Janet joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Janet. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. So so glad to be with you, Bob. So before we talk about, first of all, the event tonight, uh, sounds like it's a, it's a great uh, opportunity for you to talk with more voters. Uh, and we talk about the race in the 13th Congressional District. Why were you banned by YouTube, Janet? Oh, boy. Well, this week, uh, it had to do with a, uh, <laughs> it's been many times, and I wrote about it in my latest book, A Heartbeat Away. Uh, we've been banned by YouTube, by Facebook, by you name it. Um, but this, this week, it was an interview that I did with a, a friend of mine named Rich Swingle, who works with Intercessors for America. And I'm told that I got banned for the content of my prayer, believe it or not, um, because I prayed uh, for a remedy, a divine remedy to the voter fraud. Uh, that we've endured, and that's something YouTube wouldn't allow. So you can't pray anymore in America on the marketplace of ideas on the on the Internet, and uh, that needs to change, and that's just another reason why I'm running for Congress. Yeah, uh, boy, and uh, we need to, you know, it's it, it really depresses me, to be honest with you, because I keep hoping and, and praying, uh, you know, that Elon Musk's efforts to try to protect and preserve free speech and the right to maybe pray on Twitter uh, is successful, and he's got some plans in, in the works now uh, after his original takeover uh, was blocked by a poison pill. But you know what? Even if he's successful, Janet, you just said the magic words. YouTube, which is, uh, of course, owned by Google. Facebook, which, of course, is owned by Zuckerberg. Um, there are so many monsters in the, uh, you know, in, in the tech world. And when I say monsters, I don't mean that literally, although I suppose you could go there, too. But I mean, in terms of size, these behemoth companies, these multi-billionaires who are making, you know, decisions as to who can read or hear or pray or say uh, whatever they want online. Even if Elon is successful, that's only one branch of this, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, this monolithic uh, big tech community that uh, decides what we can see and hear. Well, let me let me tell you why I have hope. All right, because okay. we have a plan, and that's what I'm going to talk about tonight uh, over at St. Luke's Church uh, in Copley. Um, but but when we first started, you you know that I had been involved in working to pass a lot of the the bills of the laws that are on the books right now. We, I, I worked to pass the the Ohio's parental consent law and the right to know law and fetal homicide and even the nation's first ban on partial birth abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, that didn't get us where we needed to go. That still left us with with a body count of over a million innocent children. And so about 12 years ago, my husband uh, looked at me, matter-of-factly said, why don't you outlaw abortion while you're here? We had just moved back to Ohio, and I, you know, like any great woman of faith, I I looked at my watch and said, well, you know, I'm here anyway. I might as well knock that out, and I laughed because it seemed too big. Um, But two weeks later, God gave me the idea for a heartbeat bill that everyone said was impossible, and we fought the establishment for a decade breaking through a brick wall, and what they once said was impossible is now inevitable. There have now been 30 states that have introduced heartbeat bills. 14 have passed them, including Ohio. I had the privilege to, uh, to, to recruit the sponsor of the Texas heartbeat bill that now, currently, today, not someday in the sweet by and by, but right now, protects 40,000 children a year. That's a stadium full of children that will be protected from abortion in the state of Texas. That similar bill, a Texas version of heartbeat, is passed now in Idaho. Uh, civil remedy is passed in Oklahoma now with, from conception. Let me. The reason I'm telling you all of this is if we can end abortion, as we just did for 40,000 children in the state of Texas, and as that's spreading, we can get our country back. And that the reason I'm running 
is because I've learned some things. In the last 40 years of fighting for life, for liberty, I'm running to fight for liberty as hard as I fought for life. But here's some things I learned. Um, we can advance our cause. We can, instead of reacting, responding to a shrinking piece of real estate, defending uh, everything that the enemy does, we can actually set the agenda, make them respond and react to us. And when it comes to things like Internet censorship, it's just one of the items on my America First contract that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get together with the incoming freshmen. Everybody's saying there's going to be a big red tsunami wave coming in. Well, I want to meet with them. I want to gather them together as a team before the, the swamp gets their hooks in them with the perks and privileges and the payoffs. And we say, look, if you really want these American principles that you're running on, sign on the dotted line for the America First contract. And I went to Tom DeLay, the, the former U.S. Majority Leader who helped draft the first contract with America back in 1994, and we've put together a plan, and it includes what we're just talking about, this Internet censorship. Um, what we need to understand is that, that and I was just asked by the plane dealer this week, you know what, private companies, we shouldn't be able to do anything with private companies. Look, when you've got the, the current day marketplace of ideas, that's the Internet. And when you've got companies with more than 30 million users, they're the ones who are controlling the flow of information. And what's happening is you've got, you've got a state-run media already with, with, with the press, but we cannot silence and censor every other dissenting view on the Internet and still give them the perks and privileges, as, as, as uh, the president talked about with Section 230. Well, you mentioned Zuckerberg and, and Facebook. I, I've been banned on Facebook. Funny, I ran a lot of ads on Facebook, but when we were on the brink of a heartbeat bill vote, the, the ad that I ran said, brink, we're on the brink of a vote. That's when Facebook banned us because they knew we were about to cross the finish line. And they said, no. Well, you know what? If you give $6,000 to my campaign, uh, you can only give 5800 as a couple. But if you give 6000 you know what? You're going to be in trouble with the, with the FEC. The, the Federal Elections Commission is going to come after you. But if you give $417 million in campaign money, Oh, that's perfectly fine, because it comes from Mark Zuckerberg. Well, you know what I want to do? I want to set up a congressional committee, a select committee, to investigate this campaign collusion, the suppression of speech, uh, and, uh, and, and, and the, the silencing of information. We've, we've got to take our country back, and the time is not to shrink back. The time is now to take back America and to be bold. We are talking with Janet uh, Folger-Porter, candidate for Congress in the 13th Congressional District, which, of course, is Summit County and parts of Stark County. Um, Janet, this is your first campaign, right? Well, I, uh, I, I served on the, the Central Committee, this Republican Party Central Committee, back in the 90s, um, and I did run uh, because I couldn't find anybody else to do it. I ran against the Senate president in 2016 as we recruited candidates to run against the Rhinos in the Ohio Senate. For uh, six years, that, uh, we, we as we fought for this three election cycles, I recruited candidates to run against almost all of them, and I ran against the Senate president, made them spend their war chest. I'm told it was $1.3 million they spent slandering me on every station with every oversized mailer hit piece. But you know what? It wasn't fun, but it was worth it, because at the end of the day, we ended abortion. We've got bills right now in the works. In fact, we're in the process right now of tweaking the Ohio heartbeat bill to have a Texas civil remedy in it so that we can see it upheld right now, not waiting for what the court may or may not do. We can see nine out of 10 children protected just as they are in Texas. And so uh, so this is my first congressional race to answer your question. Yeah. And the, and the reason I asked it, of course, is it should be obvious. You um, 
you have been enormously successful and impactful as an advocate uh, for the unborn and as a, as an activist and a true uh, you know America first you know policymaker and America first contract um, from outside of office elected office. So I'm just wondering why now. You kind of said why you want to run, but I'm just curious as to why not before. Why why did this take so long? Well, because because I, I just right now realize, especially in the last decade, when all of these rhinos, the Republicans in name only, they'd come to tea parties and freedom meetings, and they'd say, oh, how pro-life they are. And then they'd go to Columbus, so they'd go back to Washington, and they'd block our bill. And I realize that our nation right now is in peril. We do not have time to find out if people are actually going to keep their promise, if they're going to actually mean what they say. Because I've learned, especially in this last decade, that there's only one way to tell the, the difference between the real and the rhino, and that's action. And that's my distinctive that I believe I bring to this campaign, that, that a lot of people say slogans, and they'll tell you America first and secure the borders, and they'll tell you all of the things you want to hear. Uh, but you know what? what? What matters is actions. Actions are the only way to tell. When you talk about religious liberty, um, I, I know the power in, in, in having a radio program like you did. I had a syndicated show. And when the, the, the administration said, we're going to take away the right for military chaplains to pray in Jesus' name, I, I went ballistic. And every day I hit this issue on the radio. We rang their phones. I went to the court-martial of Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt, where they court-martialed him for the crime of, of violating this new policy of praying in Jesus, being forbidden from praying in Jesus' name. I went to his court-martial. As I walked through the metal detector, someone took Jesus' name in vain. And I thought to myself, oh, that's allowed. You just can't pray in Jesus' name. Well, we pounded and pounded their phones until... Senator Warner stood up on the floor of the U.S. Senate and said they cannot do any work. They, they, their phones have been jammed. Their, 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 their faxes, their, their, they, they've gotten more mail on this. And you know what? They reversed the policy. Chaplains and the military can pray today because we would not back down. And that's what it's going to take. If you want somebody that's going to fight not just the Marxists on the left, but the rhinos on the right, you've got to hire somebody who's already done that who's already proven the results that come with it. And that's what I think I bring to the campaign. Uh, uh, that's the distinctive uh, and, and what's unique about my race. Tell me, uh, we're talking with Janet Folger Porter, candidate for Congress in the 13th District. Um, tell me about some of the pushback you received beyond just the YouTube banning and these sorts of things. I was looking at your... Uh, uh, your website, uh, and you know, you've been you've been branded as you know one of the five most dangerous um, uh, people in America with respect to the Trump. You know, I, I can't remember the phrasing of it, but with respect to respect to your Trump support and uh, and and Trumpism, if you will. Um, how do you defend yourself against that? And how do you feel about President Trump's endorsement policies? Do you expect one, or have you thought about trying to petition him for one in your race? Yeah, in fact, uh, we're we're working on that. Uh, even even still, I, I think there's some people that surround the president uh, that are not doing him a, a very good service. Uh, I've seen it in the in, in in several of the endorsements, even here in Ohio. Um, and and you know, that's, I love the president. I love his policies. I, I don't agree with all the endorsements he makes. We saw Dr. Oz and others that that just really were, were not. There, there's some rhinos that are getting in, and and that's going to happen. Um, but, but what I pray, I pray for the president every day. And I pray specifically around, uh, for the people that surround him. But regarding what I feel about how the left hates me, honestly, it's a badge of honor. I mean, that, I can that tell language, you that uh, I, Janet. If I made that language, I found it. Uh, it's five most dangerous religious right leaders in Trump's America. I just wanted to get the verbiage there correctly. This is what they feel about you. Go ahead. 
Yeah, in fact, I can one up that one. Uh, I looked at Right Wing Watch's uh, a video, their uh, website, and it turns out I did a search of of the, the articles that they've written on me when when I was Janet Porter, or excuse me, Janet Folger, and then when I was married and Janet Fold, Janet Porter. Um, there, it turns out I'm the I'm the left left most watched woman in America. So I could tell you that I'm endorsed by Governor Huckabee, and I am by former Majority Leader Tom DeLay, Congressman Bob McEwen, whole bunch of members from the Freedom Caucus, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, Jody Heiss, you know, uh, Louis Gohmert, whole bunch of those guys, General Boykin, the, the Ohio Value Voters. Uh, I, the, I got an A-plus rating from the Medical Freedom and Right to Life Action Coalition. All of that, all of that I could tell you. But what I think matters most is if you can tell something, I think, more about a person, about who it is that hates them. And the left is, is realizing I am a threat. They consider me to be one of their greatest threats to their godless and Marxist agenda. And they are right um, because we are, you know, we've been regulating around the edges of abortion for almost 50 years, Bob. But because we stepped out and we fought the establishment and we ran against the rhinos, guess what? There's a place in America that doesn't kill children whose heartbeats can be detected. Nine out of ten children, a stadium full of, of, of innocent American children are going to be saved and are being saved right now every, every year in the state of Texas and soon to, to spread across the country. As I mentioned, heartbeat bills have passed now in 30 states. You know what? We set the stage last time around when we, we broke the ground and blazed the trail with the nation's first ban on partial birth abortion. You know, a lot of people don't know that, but back in 1994, when I was lobbying to pass the nation's first ban on partial birth abortion, there was a there was a, a parliamentary procedure that killed the bill in committee. It was ruled to be dead. And I remembered there was something called a discharge petition. It had never worked before. In fact, one of the guys in this meeting we were in said, you know, we tried that in the 1970s, couldn't get enough signatures. But we stepped out. Ron Hood was with me. Uh, he's a candidate running for governor. He's a guy that was the only legislator in 1994 who joined with me to do what they said could not be done, and that is to successfully pass a discharge petition, to circulate, to, to gather 50 out of the 99 names. We ended up with 51 to pull this bill out, to pull the partial birth abortion ban out of the hospital committee and bring it to the floor for a vote. We did the first one. We passed the first ban on partial birth abortion by, by, six, by the first successful discharge petition in Ohio. We passed the first, introduced the first nation, the nation's first heartbeat bill. And now we've been, been helping every state that is working on this. Look, if you want me, your country back, find somebody's going to blaze the trail to take it back. And that's what I bring. I've, uh, I've only got less than two minutes left here. And in fact, I already blew by what I should have had for you. But I just want to uh, ask you one more question about the America First contract. First of all, it's called the America First contract, an obvious uh, reference to President Trump's America First policies. Uh, give me a brief overview of that contract. And again, back to the endorsement question. Have you met with the president at all? Do you think there is any chance of an endorsement coming your way, considering your obvious devotion to his principles? Uh, working on a meeting right now, and have been, okay, and good. and and it may happen. It may happen before the weekend is out. We'll see. We'll okay, see. And great. that's why we we call on people to pray. Let me tell you one thing in the America First contract. I think people will like uh, in education. In addition to abolishing the unconstitutional Department of Education, it's time that we get the government out of of the federal government out of education. What what if we introduce? And I've got it ready. It's the Anti Indoctrination Act that removes all federal funding from schools or government agencies that teach critical race theory that or that groom children not just till third grade like they're doing in florida but any child under the age of 18 so including transgender education if your school's doing this you're not going to get federal funds 
once we pass the Anti-Indoctrination Act. Just one of the points at the America First contract, the entire contract, is at JanetBolgerPorter.com. You don't have to live in the district to help because we're going to affect more than Summit County and, and Stark and Sliver Portage County. We're going to affect the country because, again, if we can end abortion, as we just did for 9 out of 10 babies in Texas, we can take our country back. And you want to hire somebody who's gone through the, the, uh, the lessons of, of the hard lessons to learn how. And I believe we've got a way that contract, the America First contract, if we build a team uh, of freshmen that are coming into office in this red wave, they sign on the dotted line and they cast their first vote, Bob. Their most important vote is for leadership. Because if we get a leader like a Jim Jordan, instead of a rhino that's been blocking our bills for every session that we've ever had Republican majority, guess what? Instead of watered-down versions of nothing, we actually can take our country back. We can have the, uh, the No Federal Funds for Fraud Act. We can actually say, you know what? If your state doesn't even require a voter ID, we're not going to fund you. We're going to give money to those that are going to give secure watermarks, sequential paper ballots, those that have voting days right. instead of voting months. That's the kind of things that are all in the America First contract at JanetFolgerPorter.com. And I hope to see everybody tonight at St. Luke's Church in Copley. It's at 7 p.m. I'll tell you a whole lot more that YouTube and Facebook and Google don't want you to know about. Come find out, not a slogan, but the plan to take America back. Janet Folger Porter, you just heard it. JanetFolgerPorter.com is where you can read the America First contract she's talking about, and you can go see her at that event in Copley tonight. Janet, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Best of luck. And if you get that endorsement, by the way, I want you to come right back on Monday morning, all right? I'll do it. Thanks so much, Bob. God bless you. You You too. Thank you, Janet Folger Porter, Patriot for Congress. Uh, Check her out. Her website is dynamic. 956, right back on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed. Welcome. Appreciate you being with us as hour number two gets underway. By the way, I've got another uh, another five total. I'll be on for Dennis Prager today from noon until three. You can listen to it on DennisPrager.com or the Salem News app. Uh, of course, you'll have Charlie Kirk live here on AM 1420, The Answer, from noon until one. But I will be in for Prager for the full three hours if you want to find it. Uh, we have a lot of things to talk about on the national scale, in addition to what's going on here in Ohio. So for us... It's a free-for-all Friday, and hour number two on this 22nd morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2022 is going to focus on this gubernatorial race and, quite frankly, a lot of um, controversial things going on in this. Um, about a month and a half ago, I had the hat on live. Uh, that would be Joe Blystone, uh, and we talked to him about some very important issues, including allegations made against his campaign by his own campaign in the form of a former co-campaign manager uh, named Sarah Chambers, who um, filed a 51-page complaint with the Ohio Elections Commission alleging Ohio fi- uh, finance law violations. And it turns out there was some teeth to that because the Secretary of State, just a few short weeks ago, sent a letter to the Blystone campaign saying you owe $101,000 that needs to be repaid in illegal campaign contributions. You need to answer for $130,000 more uh, in potential 
um, illegal campaign contributions, and there may be fines and even a criminal referral potentially to the Franklin County District Attorney uh, based on the result of all of that. Well, since that time, uh, we have been waiting for the Ohio Elections Commission to act on this. They were not going to take this up until after the May 3rd gubernatorial primary. But thanks to a lawsuit filed by a woman named Mary Capella, uh, demanding that the Ohio Elections Commission expedite that hearing so that the people who vote for governor, which is in the Republican primary, all Ohio Republican voters, can have an answer to these very important questions. Well, that expedited hearing happened yesterday in which probable cause was found to move forward with a full commission hearing, which has now been scheduled for May 2nd. And that is the day before the gubernatorial primary. Joining me now to make some sense out of all of this are the key players at every level of it. First of all, Sarah Chambers, former campaign manager uh, for Joe Blystone. Welcome back to our program. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me back. Good to have you back. Uh, also joining us, we started speaking with Stephanie Fouché yesterday. She was also a lead campaigner for the Blystone campaign, uh, uh, overseeing essentially three counties, and uh, she is one of the co-complainants um, in this uh, case with the Ohio Elections Commission. Stephanie, welcome back. Thank you, Bob. And uh, and Scott Pullins joins us now, too. Scott Pullins is an attorney. And, Scott, I just want to make sure I have this very clear. In addition to uh, uh, being an attorney, you are Sarah Chambers' attorney in her case uh, in which she is defending herself against Joe Blystone, correct? Yes, that is correct. I'm one of her attorneys on one that One of case. the attorneys. Got it. I just want to make sure that all of the uh, uh, labels uh, are, are, are accurate here. So before we get into the depth of uh, the lawsuit uh, that Blystone has filed against Sarah, um, you know, in response to these allegations, I want to go back to Stephanie because we closed our show yesterday, Stephanie Fouché, with you giving us a little bit of the lay of the land. You were trying to give me the play-by-play because the hearing with the commission yesterday was going on as I was on live radio. So I appreciate all those text messages as you told me what was going on. And it was from you that I learned that they had decided on a unanimous three to nothing basis, uh, that there was probable cause that, uh, violations had happened here. So, uh, you were kind of giving us more of the description of the way things went down before when we had to cut you off at the end of the show. I want to pick it up there and then we'll dive into where it goes from here with Sarah and with Scott. So Stephanie, can you, uh, maybe just you, you know, for those who didn't hear the end of yesterday's show, start over with what your overall impression of that hearing yesterday was. My overall impression. Yes, I'm here. I'm sorry. God, that's all right. I just want to make sure. Okay. Um, My overall impression is the commission wouldn't have gone unanimously to go to, you know, a full hearing for May 2nd without probable cause. And I believe this is the absolute right thing to do on behalf of Ohio and I strongly want to recognize the other complainant for filing her complaints as well. Because as I referenced yesterday, it is absolutely critical that this stuff be brought forth, that the truth be told, because Ohio needs to know the truth of whom this candidate is. And our case has been suppressed by Blystone for filing his civil suit against the Ohio Elections Commission. Mm-hmm. And Scott can correct me if I'm wrong, but until that is formally discharged, 
we will not be able to get our hearing scheduled. Okay. Um, one of the other questions, Stephanie, for you at the outset here, and I kind of asked this toward the end of the conversation yesterday, knowing there wasn't enough time, is why you joined on with the Blystone campaign in the first place. You were really taken in by him. You believed, I think, the words that got you were constitutional conservative. You thought that that meant something, um, and that really you know, attracted you to his campaign and why you wanted to volunteer and actually rise up to a pretty prominent position within that campaign. And the show ended yesterday before I could ask you, at what point did you realize that you were with the wrong guy, and what made you realize that? In all honesty, Bob, it was a gradual process. Um, as I had interacted with uh, other individuals within my counties that I were covering, Lake Geauga and Ashtabula, mm-hmm. the only people that knew of Joe Blystone had concerns that he was a plant for the conservative vote in Ohio. And I never wanted to toss that away entirely. And I justified it, well, He's a citizen candidate. He's going out and, you know, fighting against. But I never dismissed it entirely. But I held, So I held on to it. And as things began to progress, I started to question a lot of things. And most importantly, it was in reference. There are countless things that I could speak about that were of extreme importance to me and cause for concern. The events that I had scheduled for Blystone. May 1st at the Plank Road Tavern. I offered, it's in my statement along with my sworn affidavit Mm -hmm. to document donations coming in and also sign sales thinking this should be conducted in a business-like manner so you could keep track of your inventory and what's coming in. I was instructed not to, but I was permitted and instructed to take down any volunteer information. Okay. There were, I also referenced people in my statement that contributed a lot of money, donations, one individual alone, $310, which is not documented. Mm-hmm. And Blystone had stayed at the Plank Road Tavern event and drank for a few hours afterwards, him and his wife, um, you know, speaking with people that came to this event and he got into his truck and drove all the way to mentor from Montville, Ohio, located in Geauga County. And that is a little bit disturbing to me because I don't believe in drinking and driving. I want to, I want to try to focus though on the, the, I mean, we're we're getting into the weeds here on things that I don't think are, are pertinent to the issue here. We want to talk, I want to talk anyway about, um, uh, campaign violations that are alleged and about whether or not, uh, uh, and I appreciate what you're saying, but, but, uh, but I want to yeah. stay on the, on the topic here. So, uh, uh, Sarah Chambers, let me have you jump in with kind of the same question. Now, for you, it's a little bit repetitive because we did a full interview on this and you told me, but for those who did not hear you, uh, with me the last time, you, you spoke with me the day after I had Joe Blystone on the air. Can you tell me some of the things that you saw that led you to file the 51 page complaint? Sure. Um, so when I came off the uh, campaign in July, I had, uh, as we, as I had said before, most people know, I had a lot of things going on in my life. My dad was terminally ill. I ended up with COVID in the hospital. Um, and quite frankly, I just needed time to sit back and <clears throat> take in 
the experience that I had had in the campaign and just process all of the things that I saw um, as far as wrongdoings. A big one was when the campaign finance report came out in July, I had called, I was still on speaking terms with the campaign and they were late on their um, filing and I knew it was due. I called up the, my co-campaign manager and said, hey, did you guys realize that campaign finance reports were due today at five? And it was a flurry of um, panic and we got to get a hold of Joe and we got to get these filed. And, and I said, yeah, I just wanted to give you a heads up. When those were filed, I looked through them um, because obviously I knew the amounts that I personally had given. And I had invested quite a bit monetarily, um, mm-hmm. not just monetarily, but physically and, um, and working for, you know, volunteering for him. Right. And as I looked through the uh, donations, I, mine weren't there. Uh, to the tune of $13,000 um, plus. And I said, okay, why, why, are, why am I not on here? Uh, and then in speaking with others to... Did you say that um, to someone I, or did you say that, Sarah, to someone or to yourself? Uh, well, initially I just was kind of processing it with myself and then I reached out. I was in contact with a few other people who, volunteers who had left the campaign, and I said, Hey guys, like, can check check the campaign finance report? You know, did you guys give donations? Um, and if so, make sure that yours are on there, mine or not. Um, and then life kind of got crazy. My dad, I, like I said, I wound up in the hospital um, for a week and a half in August, and my dad um, was in a week after me, and then he eventually passed in October. I was extremely busy with all that, so I kind of and just kind of put that on the back burner uh, and, ca- and came back to it in October. And just after I talked to several other people had raised com- um, concern to me who knew I had left the campaign and reached out to me either privately and wanted to remain anonymously or people who were willing to say, yeah, I will speak out about this. And um, but, but Sarah, if I may, if I may, I'm not just sure. talking about talking with other people that you worked with there on the sure. campaign. I'm asking, did you bring that up to Jane Blystone, who's who's in charge of the money there? Um, I was no, I was no, I was not in contact with um, Jane or Joe after that time when I left. I no, talked no, no, to some no, of my I, friends. I, no, no, no. I, again, and I'm sorry oh, if okay. I'm, I'm being unclear. I, I mean, this is just very bizarre to me what I'm hearing right now. I'm sure. asking when you saw violations that your own name and your own contributions were not reported on those filings. Did you bring it up to the heads of the campaign and say, "Hey, I'm talking before you left," and and say, "Hey, you guys have to report this, right?" Or or did you only talk among the other staffers? Um, well, I had when I left. It was July. I believe the date was July sixth or seventh. Um, campaign finance wasn't due until the end of July. Okay. I didn't have any uh, when I was on the campaign. Uh, the my other co-campaign manager, Deb Abbott, she was the one with access to the financials. I never saw any financials. I wasn't but when, but able to you, check. But, okay, uh, and again, uh, this is very puzzling to me. I feel like we're sure. we're talking in circles. You okay. said that you looked and saw on the financials that you didn't see your own contribution recorded. Correct. All Correct. Right. But now you just said you didn't see the financials that somebody else had those. What does yeah, that I think mean? you're confused. Campaign yes, finance am. reports did not come out until the end of July. Right. They were not made public. Campaigns had to turn them in then. That is when I first became aware that my donations were not okay, there. Okay, so you were not still on the campaign when you realized Correct. that. Correct. 
Got it. Correct. Okay, thank I you. Am, I'm, I just, I'm so puzzled here, and I know it's my fault, yeah. not yours, but I want to be clear. So we're talking about yep. after after you had left. Uh, now, so, so then let me go back to the question of why you left and when you left. Because if you, mm-hmm. if you didn't notice that, for example, your own contributions weren't recorded, and that that might be the tip of an iceberg, that there are a lot mm-hmm. of others that haven't been recorded, if you didn't notice that until you were gone, what is it that you noticed while you were still there that said, i got to get out of here, I don't believe in this? Um, so there were, many, there were many concerning events that took place. Uh, in particular, there was an event that took place at... Um, a bar in Columbus um, with Joe and the former um, running mate uh, that I was uncomfortable with, uh, the things that happened there. Um, I was uncomfortable with some of the deception that I would confront directly with Joe, and then I would be told one thing, and I would come to find out that that it was another uh, thing. I also am a believer. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and um, Joe was really claiming that, and while I'm not going to question Joe's heart, because I do not believe that any of us can know um, the heart of another person, mm-hmm. I just didn't see genuineness there as far as um, hearing testimony um, or um, knowing the Bible or being aware of what that really meant, and, and that, was, that was also a very big concern to me. It was a big so there's concern concerns, to me that so I went there's to concerns him. that he wasn't what you thought he was when you decided to volunteer on his campaign, and then you had concerns about the legality of the way some of the things were being run. Because the last time we talked, you talked about people giving donations, and then you're you know you're telling people to record that, and then uh, you know Joe Blystone and others saying, "Don't worry about that, don't worry about that," that sort of thing. So there's a a character right. thing, and then an act, and then a and then a following the letter of the campaign law thing, right? Right. The question came up many times about campaign finance, and mm-hmm. and there was just no answer to it. I suggested, along with many others, many times, hey, can we get a lawyer? Can we get a CPA? We really need to have those positions. And it, it was just um, not ever addressed, even though I, I continued to come. Right. I also and came the- to him when he made Jane his um, treasurer, and I said, Joe, like we need to be above reproach here. You're telling me all the time that the establishment and these people are going to attack you. We need to think ahead of the things that they may attack you on. Not knowing a ton about politics, um, I would just think that having your wife as a treasurer is not going to put you above reproach, because if anything goes down, people are going to look at that, regardless of what, what the truth is. You know, at that point, I said to him, people are going to look at that with question. Your wife's the treasurer. Not a good look. No, no, you're 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 exactly right uh, because you know you, you you do have an appearance of impropriety there, and that is a bad thing, which I'm sure Scott can speak to. Now, Scott, thank you for your patience during all this as I try to get to some of the uh, uh, issues uh, uh, alleged by the complainants by by Sarah and Stephanie. You, Scott, and uh, Stephanie and Sarah have all been accused of, by the Blystone campaign of just being plants for Jim Renacci. You're working for him. <laughs> You're working for him. You're paid for by him. This is this is just his attempt to try to tear down Joe Blystone. How do you respond to that stuff? Well, I, 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 I've said it pretty publicly. Uh, I'm very transparent. Uh, I am not Jim Renacci's attorney. Uh, I'm not a consultant for the campaign. I'm not a paid staff from the campaign. Uh, I did, uh, for a few months, serve as uh, Jim's Knox County uh, uh, volunteer chairman. 
Uh, but that that's the extent of my role with the Renacy campaign. Uh, I know Jim pretty well. He's a friend. I do support him. Uh, I hope he wins. Uh, but as far as being some kind of paid shill, no, I'm not. What about, uh, and, and can you speak to it, because you represent Sarah as one of her attorneys in the suit that has been filed by Blystone against her, uh, what can you say about those allegations, that she is only acting on behalf of the Renacy campaign, and that's why she's making these things up, which is their, alleg- their allegation? Well, uh, they're not true, uh, obviously, but even if they were true, it doesn't matter. Um, most campaign finance complaints are initially brought by an opposing campaign. Um, you know, it probably would have been a lot easier if the Renacy campaign had went out and hired a bunch of lawyers and, and filed this complaint themselves. Um, they didn't. Um, instead, uh, folks like uh, Sarah and Stephanie and, and Mary have come forward on their own and done so. Um, you know, Jim's not paying my legal fees. Uh, he's not paying Kurt Hartman's legal fees. Um, he, he has no role in these, cam- in these campaign finance complaints. So what was your, or what can you tell us from a legal standpoint about yesterday, the probable cause hearing, and what we can expect on May 2nd, Scott Pullins? Well, um, Joe, the most significant thing that came out of yesterday was Joe's attorney uh, finally admitted publicly and in court documents that were filed that until November 1st of 2021, uh, after Sarah had filed a complaint, they had taken no actions uh, to account for all the cash that was coming into the campaign. So essentially they would have an event. Um, they would have signs and T-shirts there, and they would take in vast amounts of cash, uh, in this case somewhere in excess of $100,000 in cash. Um, they just throw it in the bucket. And they wouldn't get names. They wouldn't get addresses of the contributors. They wouldn't get amounts. Um, they wouldn't get employers. Uh, they they took no action to see whether it was five hundred dollars, which is unlawful, or, or or any of those things. Um, it, they they essentially admitted to massive violations of campaign finance laws. So they admitted to those things, uh, claiming, and I guess the defense continues to be, we didn't know, I'm just a farmer. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's been what Joe Blystone has said. That's what he said to me live on the radio, too. Um, so what, what steps can and do you expect the Elections Commission will take when this whole thing happens on May 2nd? Well, and, and I, I, I'm not certain that it will happen on May 2nd. The commission has set that for a hearing date. Um, what should happen then is that the commission would find a violation, uh, would levy probably pretty heavy fines, um, and or uh, refer it to the Franklin County prosecutor for prosecution. My guess is is that Joe will and his attorney will go in and file another frivolous lawsuit in Franklin County against the commission and try to avoid... Uh, letting the public see and hear this until after the May primary election.
Which is just uh, Im- impossible for me to understand. I think everybody needs to know what is going on, what allegations there are, what proof there is about a candidate who has been accused of some pretty significant violations before they decide whether they want to vote for that candidate. Uh, which is which is just, uh, you know, I'm glad they expedited the hearing, but this happened still way too late. Um, we're out of time for now. Uh, Scott Poland's attorney representing Sarah Chambers, Sarah, and also Stephanie Fouché, the two complainants in this case against Joe Blystone that hit the Ohio Elections Commission yesterday there is probable cause they will have that hearing on may 2nd and of course uh we'll follow it as uh, every step of the way i thank you all for giving us the update that you could at this particular point in time and obviously we'll look forward to following up with you down the line uh when this whole thing plays itself out stephanie sarah and uh, scott Pollins, thank you all very much thanks for having us on all right, 10, 10, 30. I wish I had more time there, but we are out of it. We'll take our news break here. Jack Windsor has this story and more coming up on AM 1420. When the mainstream media is always left, tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Yeah, I'm coming. Hold on. I'm on a call here. Hold on. Thank you for calling Ohio Republican Party Chairman Bob Panuchik. You have been on hold for 31 days. Your call is very important to Chairman Panuchik. Please remain on the line. He'll be with you shortly. So tired of waiting for this guy. Oh my gosh. Thank you for calling Ohio Republican Party Chairman Bob Panuchik. You have been on hold for 31 days. Your call is very important to Chairman Panuchik. Please remain on the line. He'll be with you shortly. All right, I'm just going to have to... I'm just going to have to do my thing and come back to him. 31 straight days we've been waiting. 31 straight days that we have been emailing, texting, or calling the office of the Ohio Republican Party Chairman Bob Paduchik, who apparently is either unavailable or just unwilling to do interviews with people who aren't going to bend over and kiss his ring, because that is exactly what he wants. If you aren't all on board with Mike DeWine, and if you aren't all on board and trying to get Jane Timken into the Senate, then Bob Paduchik has no use for you. That's called corruption, my friends. It's also called coward cowardice. You understand that, Bob? You know how to spell that? Cowardice. 1040 on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, let's bring in Jack Windsor now. Jack Windsor is a uh, reporter and our state house correspondent for AM 1420 The Answer. He's also the founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. And Jack doesn't have any more luck being able to get through to Bob Paduchik than I do. Hey, Jack, good morning. Bob, good morning. Uh, always an honor to be a part of the AM 1420 team and to get the chance to talk with you and listeners. So I don't take that lightly. Thanks for choosing me again today. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to have you. So, Jack, last time we had you on, I think it was Monday, we were talking a little bit about some information you uncovered about the Ohio Republican Party chair and some uh, very, very um, extra efforts, some of the, you know, going the extra mile or miles between here and New Jersey on behalf of Jane Timken. 
not supporting whomever the winner of the Ohio primary in the Senate uh, race might be, but trying to go the extra miles, literally, uh, to get an endorsement for Jane Timken. And that has apparently resulted in some other information that you need to share with us now. So recap that story for Monday for those who did not hear it and tell us a little bit more about Mr. Paduchik's efforts to have a quote-unquote free and fair primary in the the, uh, state of Ohio. Yeah, so um, to, to try to bring it up uh, in a way that, that might make sense um, with respect to how I received it. So uh, we remember last week that it, w- it came out that President Trump was going to endorse J.D. Vance in this hotly contested um, U.S. Senate race. Um, when that information came out, there was a group of people, I mean, there have been several since, but there was a group of people uh, spearheaded by um, the Ohio Republican Party treasurer, Dave Johnson, uh, who put a letter together and sent it off to Trump's team, essentially saying, wrong move, uh, J.D. Vance is not the guy, and people who have signed this letter are not just um, Jane Timken people, they're Josh Mandel people, they're Mike Gibbons people, so on and so forth. Um, that happened almost immediately because the buzz was that the endorsement was going to happen. As soon as Trump said that he was coming to Delaware, Ohio, um, it was it was a frenzy. So I actually got in contact with a former Trump staffer, um, someone who is still pretty close um, with the Trump family. And I said, hey, um, my understanding is that there's some pushback on this J.D. Vance endorsement. But um, what can you tell me about that? And he said, you mean the effort from the Ohio Republican Party and Bob Duchek? And I said, yes, that's precisely what I'm talking about. And um, he went on to confirm information that last summer, Bob Duchek got in his car, drove to New Jersey, and um, wanted hence, to get hence mono, the extra, mono Yeah, hence the extra miles reference for those who don't know what we're talking yeah. about. But he literally drove from Ohio to New Jersey. Go ahead. Yeah, literally drove from Ohio to New Jersey. Um, to try to get mano a mano with Trump. Now, this is rumor, scuttlebutt, right? But my question was, well, why is that? And the comment was, well, if you call President Trump, you're likely on speakerphone. You have no idea who's in the room. And so there's always that risk. Well, my understanding is Mr. Paducek wanted to get one-on-one with the president and hand to him a poll that showed Jane Timken in a very favorable position, probably in first place. Of course, back then, I think it was Jane and Josh. In the race, um, and so. But even when that, it was Jane and Josh, she wasn't in first place, right? I think Josh was leading from the time it started until Gibbons took over a couple of months ago uh, in the lead. I, don't, I didn't recall Jane even leading when it was one on one, unless I'm mistaken. Well, and to, to your point, Josh is still leading. Um, that gap might be narrowing. We don't know yet. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take JD Vance's ads and you know this this endorsement to saturate. But everything that we're seeing is that Josh is in in the lead that could change obviously but anyway um that effort apparently caused um some agitation and annoyance um with the president and um i guess it was at that point that not my words um the insider's words um that he realized that um you know he was pushing jane and so phone calls text messages and efforts to get jane endorsed have been ignored and um, so what does that mean? That means that the pushback that he's been a part of has largely been ignored as well. Um, so, uh, you know, any any credit or um, 
political equity that, that Paducic might have had um, when Corey Lewandowski was still in good favor with the president, um, things of that nature. It, it seems to have waned significantly. Um, and so the insider said, look, there, there's annoyance. I don't think that the president doesn't like Bob Paducic. I think the president is annoyed, or actually calls him the boss now. The boss is annoyed um, with the ongoing efforts to get Jane elected and uh and also, there was kind of a, a sidecar comment about uh, about Mike DeWine, um, which we might hear more about Saturday. By the way, I, I can I would hope so. Actually, any anything? Can you give me anything on that or or that that particular comment? Yeah. So this I'm I'm editorializing. This is not fact. That's fine. Um, you know, Trump, Trump in the past has said, um, Jack, Jack, I've said this on the radio and I'll say, and I've said it to you in private and I'll say it now to you on the radio. Uh, I am okay with, with, uh, reporting that is done based on anonymous sources if those sources are trusted. And you have assured me that you have full faith in the people that are give, give, giving you this information and that is accurate. As long as you have a belief that this is a source that you can trust, uh, you don't have to have been there. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Okay. Well, that, that being said, um, you know, I've, I've heard it from a couple of people, um, but I'm going to put a qualifier on it. My understanding is that, that um, you know, Donald Trump in the past has said, has not come out and, um, and, uh, and endorsed an opponent, but instead has gone against the person directly that maybe he doesn't like or doesn't support and said, you know, I wouldn't vote for the guy. Um, my understanding is that type of commentary might be part of Saturday, but the qualifier there is Donald Trump is renowned for completely going off script and, yeah. you know, making changes to speeches in the middle of them. So um, it's anybody's guess. I do know that he will support J.D. Vance. Um, and you know, His son has been campaigning with J.D. in Ohio this week. So it will be very pro-J.D. Will it be, you know, negative Mike DeWine and, and, and pro-Jim Renacci? Well, the um, agitation but, that you said that he uh, showed toward Paducek driving there to try to meet with him rather than making a phone call to saying, hey, can I put in a good word for, for one of these candidates? Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if that agitation will carry over to uh, Paducek's hand-picked uh, ORP-endorsed you know, uh, incumbent governor, too. I mean, uh, it, that's something that I can hope because I desperately hope for the sake of Ohioans that Mike DeWine is sent packing never to be seen again in a public office, much less as the governor of the state of Ohio, and I know Bob Paducek, in his fealty to, to DeWine, wants the exact opposite. So I'm hopeful that that animosity that maybe he generated in the Timken push will extend to DeWine. And whether that manifests itself Saturday or not, I don't know. Uh, but, but you know, certainly perhaps in the form of, of maybe some kind words, as you said, about a guy trying to boot DeWine from office like Renacci. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you that it's already... Um... I don't want to say that there's animosity or there might be rejection. Um, I was told that the Ohio Republican Party and Bob Paducek had already attempted to um, take some people off of the credentialed media roster uh, as well as the VIP roster and pushed back on Trump's people, uh, but was told, no, we're we're keeping everyone uh, on the list that's on the list, and that's our call. So uh, I don't know how tense that struggle is. I don't, you know. Um, but here, but also remember, Donald Trump is a guy who fires and rehires people all the time. So, yeah. um, you know, Bob Paducek might be on the outs right now, or even if it's not on the outs, maybe he doesn't have the political equity, as I mentioned before. But that could all change in a heartbeat. 
Um, but it's really interesting. Um, it, you know, it makes for good uh, talk show stuff, right? Yeah, well, especially if he won't talk. If you won't come on to talk shows that ask him these tough questions, then I guess all we can do is sit here and speculate about it. Now, having said that, um, if you didn't know any better and you watched the Jane Timken ad campaign over the course of the last month, you would think that she has the endorsement of Donald Trump, uh, touting his uh, compl- complimentary words toward her at rallies and at different events and uh, appearing alongside of him. It almost makes it appear that Jane Timken is the endorsed candidate of Donald Trump, which we know she is not. And can you tell us about uh, anything having to do with that, Jack Windsor? So, you know, Bob, I, I would like to, um, but this is one of those things that I really do have to be careful about. My understanding is that there is displeasure um, among the Trump camp. I will leave it at that until we can, you know, verify some things. Um, that There is displeasure, um, obviously, among the Trump people, um, that there's a seeming connection between Jane Timken and, and Donald Trump and some of her campaign information and ads. Now, obviously, that kind of goes without saying, right? If he's come out and endorsed J.D. Vance, obviously, um, he's going to look and go, well, wait a minute. Why is, you know, why does that video have me in it? Why does that picture have me in it? Um, I'm endorsing a different candidate. So some of that, I think, is, is just kind of goes with the territory of, of endorsing a different candidate. But, um, that's all I can speculate on right now at this point, unfortunately. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think it is deceptive on the part of the Timken campaign, mm-hmm. which I would expect no less, to be honest with you. But also, I mean, he did say nice things. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how the law works with respect to um, intent or, or uh, you know, truth or, or honesty in advertising or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Jack, but he did say nice things about her. If I'm her, I might be saying, look, he did say, uh, Jane Timken did a great yeah. job for me in Ohio and, uh, you know, and I like Jane. He did say those things. Doesn't mean he's endorsing her for office, but he is saying nice things about her. So we'll have to wait and see whether or not that manifests itself in something bigger, which I suspect maybe it will. Jack, let me move on to a conversation I had last half hour with Scott Pullins, attorney for Sarah Chambers, along with Sarah Chambers and Stephanie Fouché, complainants against the Blystone campaign because of a whole bunch of things that they saw that didn't smell right or look right with respect to campaign finance. You and I talked about this a little bit already, but not since yesterday when the um, Ohio Elections Commission had a hearing, a probable cause hearing, and found uh, very overwhelmingly three to nothing that, yes, there is probable cause that uh, some laws have been broken here. Perhaps just finance laws, perhaps criminal acts, because there is talk now of a referral to the Franklin County Prosecutor's Office. Um, so you, you followed it, you wrote about it, uh, yesterday, and now you are aware that the May 2nd meeting with the full Ohio Elections Commission will happen before, uh, the election on May 3rd. What can you tell us? What I can tell you is, um, the, the commission reversed course. So if you remember last week, um, we wrote a little bit about, um, Mary Capella, who is the complainant, filed two complaints with the Ohio Election Commission and asked for expedited hearings. They denied that. Um, she and her attorney then uh, filed with the Ohio Supreme Court seeking a writ of mandamus, which essentially would would cause the Supreme Court to say, no, you need to expedite these hearings. My understanding, again, scuttlebutt, is that, uh, I mean, obviously the Supreme Court did not uh, follow through. They had not, um, that had not run its course yet. But my understanding is the Ohio Attorney General's office, who would represent the Ohio Elections Commission, um, told their client, hey, you know, looking at the Ohio Revised Code here, uh, this, this, these infractions, you know, it, it is within 60 days of the election, and they involve uh, finances. So 
campaign contributions or expenditures, those two things um, would qualify it to be expedited. So the commission reversed course and then decided to hold the hearing yesterday. They held the hearing, and in a three-to-nothing vote, uh, the probable cause panel said, come back one day before the primary, and we're going to conduct a full hearing. Now, um, he, this is the second brush, by the way. Uh, Sarah Chambers, who was uh, a one-time co-manager of the campaign, right. also filed a complaint, and the commission had a preliminary hearing and decided to take that to uh, a full hearing. But when that happened, Blystone filed a lawsuit in Franklin County to get that uh, stopped, and that is still pending. So the Ohio Elections Commission has not followed through on the Sarah Chambers complaint, citing um, the, the pending case within Franklin County. But this will be heard. And so what does it mean? I, I don't know that it's going if, – if it's heard on the second, whatever happens, that information gets out by the third. Does it affect how people vote? I don't know. Um, it's pretty chaotic. Um, I think, obviously, it's going to have – some impact on Blystone's campaign and obviously by default Renacy's campaign and DeWine's campaign. Now, depending on how Joe Blystone handles it, it could be, I listened to a video he published uh, the day of the hearing, which was yesterday, and he essentially said in, in some ways, and sometimes it was pretty convincing, hey, um, you know, this is the uphill battle you fight as an outsider. Um, you know, there are people pulling some strings behind the curtain and this is what happens when everyday Joes like me go against, um, you know, the, the institution and or the establishment. So depending on how he handles it, it could be a boon for him. It could be a bust. Um, but it certainly means that his campaign is going to be under the microscope and under the microscope quickly to figure out uh, the commission wants to figure out. Did he take in money and report it improperly? Did he spend money in ways that he shouldn't have? And depending on whether that can be proved and, and how egregious it may or may not be, that will determine whether it gets referred to the prosecutor, he gets fined, and then um, who knows what could happen. I mean, obviously, if it, it was a criminal offense, I don't believe that he would be able to run for statewide office, but that's putting the cart way, way, way before the horse in my mind. Yeah, well, that, that horse should have gotten out earlier then, because uh, I think that's that's what people need to know, is whether or not he can actually run for this position. You, uh, you noted in your coverage uh, at the Ohio Press Network that the grass quoting the grassroots candidate promised a press release on April 15th that would unveil the updated reports and disclose how much money the campaign would need to return and amount Blystone said would be well below the more than $100,000 cited in news reports. However, no such press release was delivered. He has been one big empty promise after another, to my understanding, when it comes to responses, when it comes to filings, when it comes to reporting, all of the things that are supposed to happen on a timely basis. I mean, he even got the extension uh, uh, that they requested uh, in uh, by the commission when I talked talked about this last week, uh, you know, to May 19th. It seems like every time he wants a break and more time to respond to things, he's given it. Uh, the expedited hearing yesterday was the anomaly here. Finally, people get at least an idea of what's going on there. But, uh, Jack, in your opinion, will the Ohio voters have enough information, Ohio Republican voters in that primary on May 3rd, will they have enough imi- uh, information to be able to decide whether or not this guy can and should be governor? Uh, I think if they want to have the information, they'll have it. Um, I think people make decisions all the time based on seven-second sound bites. And so, you know, depending on how this uh, scenario will be used, I think it, it, that that will have everything to do with, you know, how it affects voters. Um, it, this campaign finance review that was promised on April 15th, it apparently was turned over to the Ohio Secretary of State 
I did not see uh, that it was published as he committed to doing. Um, I reached out to Mr. Blystone, I reached out to his legal counsel, and um, we didn't get a response from either. However, um, I also requested the information from the Ohio Secretary of State, who basically said, we're going to put you in the queue, and when it's ready, it's ready. Uh, but yesterday, because this um, expedited uh, three-panel hearing is now turning into a full commission hearing on May 2nd, uh, the records were subpoenaed. And when those records were subpoenaed, they then uh, came into public purview. So um, Rob over at uh, Frank LaRose's office uh, turned that information over to us. We updated the story. So if you go to the OhioPressNetwork.com and uh, look at the story, probable cause found in Blystone Financial Reporting Probe, um, that lengthy report is near the end of the story, and you can click on it, and it's an 83-page report. So it's there for Ohioans to go through. Um, the information is there, what they do with it. Um, it'll be interesting to see. All right, there you have it. Uh, and we'll look at that updated report there at the OhioPressNetwork.com website. So many moving parts to all of this, uh, and, uh, and, and a lot of it still has yet to be discovered uh, because a lot of things are still in the word and report and rumor stage. But, um, uh, but Jack Windsor is on top of all of it. Jack, thank you for, for your responsible reporting and your updating us with this information. When you get more, we'll, we'll have you right back on, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll cover it all and present it to the people, hopefully before May 3rd rather than after. Jack Windsor, thank you so much. Bob, it's an honor. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. Jack Windsor is the editor-in-chief, again, at the Ohio Press Network. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway now at nine minutes past 11 o'clock. It is not a free-for-all Friday. We have been just jam-packed with important guests covering some very important issues. So my apologies for the lack of opportunities for phone calls today. But that's the beauty of the alwaysright.us webpage that I tell you. You can always listen live to the show there at alwaysright.us, and you can also comment there with your mouth. It's not a matter of just filling out a comment board or uh, uh, you know, a social media thing. Just click the sound off button, and you can do just what you can do on the phone. Record your message for me on your, uh, through your computer's microphone or your phone's microphone and uh, send it to me. Uh, at alwaysrate.us. Just click the sound off button and follow the instructions. I'll play your comments on the air. And by the way, if this hour ends without you being able to be heard, you got three more. Because I'm in for Dennis Prager today from noon until three. So I'll be taking phone calls from you and from people all across the country from noon until three on the Dennis Prager show. So thanks for being with us, uh, this morning. Uh, great conversations already with a lot of very important people. And, um, we're about to have another one. 
You may or may not be terribly familiar with the uh, Convention of States movement. Um, I have talked to members, supporters of a Convention of States, uh, leveraging Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution to convene the states to essentially amend the Constitution, to restore more power to the people and limit the authority of the federal government, to impose fiscal restraints and other things. So I've talked about it with some pretty influential people in the past, but it's been a bit. And now there is another step in this movement. It's going to happen on April 27th. So that is coming up next week. There's going to be a presentation, an informational session, if you will, at Lorain County Community College, which is very, very close to my house, to be honest with you. And I'm going to try my best to be there for that. But it's going to talk a little bit about what an Article 5 Convention of the States is all about and what it could accomplish in an attempt to restore self-governance across America. Joining me now to discuss this, uh, a couple of individuals who are involved in it, David Freeman, uh, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. I've met David at a, a couple of events that I've spoken at in the past. In fact, in fact, I may see him again on Saturday. David, first of all, welcome to the show. Uh, second of all, you're going to be at uh, McFan on uh, on Saturday, tomorrow? I'm going to do my best to make it. Uh, that's not and a threat. I, that's not a threat, and I'm not setting you up there. I just I've seen you at other events before, so I just thought maybe you might be at that one too. It's all good if you're not. I can't make yes. it to all of the ones I'm invited to either. So, uh, but, well, first of all, let me say this: uh, kudos to you the way you set up this segment because you gave an awful lot of information in a way that kind of whet the appetite of your listeners, and hopefully it's wet enough that they want to come and take a big bite out of it. Well, uh, yeah, and uh, you made it easy, too, by the way, or the the organization did with this press release. It has a lot of great information there, so it's easy enough for me to follow. By the way, I'm getting a bit of an echo or something like that, David. I don't know if you're on a speaker or not, but if you are, let's pick up the handset there. As uh, I welcome uh, another guest, which I did not know we were going to have, the man doing the presentation uh, at Lorain County Community College, along with Ohio Senator Nathan Manning, is uh, Dr. Ron Arndt uh, with the Convention of States Action Organization. He's going to be the keynote speaker there. So, Dr. Arndt, uh, good to have you here, too. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. And uh, just it's a great opportunity for us to get to visit just like this and in front of an audience who are like-minded folks and probably a group of people, like you said right at the beginning, who don't know very much about Convention of States. And I know for myself, a year and a half ago, I was a newbie and I really didn't know much. Boy, and over that period of time, I've become very enthusiastic. Well, I, I share that uh, that enthusiasm, and I didn't know much about it either until a few years ago, and I did a couple of interviews with people who are trying to push this. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think everybody does need to learn a little bit about what it means. Now, let me just give a couple of the facts also available in this release, and then I'll ask you to expound upon it. Nineteen states have already approved the call for a convention of states, an Article 5 convention of states, with an additional 16 boasting active Convention of States resolutions in their legislatures. That's a good thing. That's a good number because 34 states must pass a Convention of States resolution to initiate uh, a convention to be able to propose, the, propose these amendments to the Constitution. So if my math is on here, 19 and 16 is 35. That would get us there if all 16 of those states um, are able to to push forward and actually approve this. So, Dr. Arndt, why don't we start with this? 
What do they have to approve? Tell people exactly what an Article Five Convention of States would allow people allow us to do. Well, what what really makes the Convention of States process so unique is historically there have been all kinds of pushes throughout the country, different states, for amendments, whether they be term limits or balancing the budget and so forth. But they've typically been individual requests and not uniform among all of the states. And so what the Convention of States has done is created a singular resolution. So to speak to the 19 states that you just described is um, those 19 states have voted affirmatively for that specific resolution. So it's the same in all the states. So those remaining states, what they need to do in order to make this process move forward is to vote affirmatively on this same resolution. So it's not a different resolution in each state. It's uniform across all of them. And so that's what makes Convention of States process so powerful and also so unique. This is um, uh, such a unique uh, carve-out, if you will, that our founders put into the Constitution, that this Convention of States can be can be convened um, to provide a solution, again, referring to the release inherent in our Constitution that provides a way for states to take control from Washington. So they saw the potential for abuse, for overregulation, for overreach, uh, for for you know too much power being in the hands of the elites that the people always have redress the people always have an ability to say no 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 you're going too far here without a full on revolution which is how this nation was born against an overreaching uh, you know uh, overbearing government. Uh, the way that we did when we cast off the British crown. We don't want to do that again, so let's do it peacefully in a convention of states. This is exactly what the founders had intended for us if government got too big. I, I don't know why it would be controversial that we use it the way it was intended, right? Well, I would certainly agree. And, and, and to tag on to your comment about the revolution, the whole process of convention of states is, in essence, a, rev- a revolution without the bullets. There you go. And our our forefathers, it's, it's really amazing the brilliance that these guys have, uh, have demonstrated right from the beginning. They knew what human nature is like, that power, when confined to just a small group of people, is caustic, and it's, it's defeating. And because of that, because they understood the human condition, they built that right into Article 5 of our Constitution. And thank God for that. Dr. Ron Arndt is going to be the keynote speaker at this Convention of States uh, presentation, if you will, coming up on the 27th next week at Lorain County Community College. We'll give you more details on that in a second. David Freeman brought him onto the airwaves with us here. David, um, can you tell us where we stand in the state of Ohio? Again, I mentioned 19 states uh, have already approved this. 16 are considering it. Ohio is one of those. Where does this stand? Obviously, Senator Nathan Manning is in support of it because he's going to be there 
uh, on the 27th as well. But can you tell us uh, what the process is and what uh, lies ahead at the Ohio State House? Well, that's a very timely question to me personally because I saw after reading materials about the Convention of States that Ohio was not on board, and I've always wanted to do something to move our country in the right direction. So I jumped in with both feet. And uh, not long ago, those who were desiring to be in power made a. Uh, hey, 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 David. Hey, David. Break. David, we've got yes, a really sir. bad. We've got a really bad audio quality there. If that's a speakerphone, we need to pick that up and use the handset because it's good. It's going to squeak to our listeners. So if you can just pick up your uh, right, pick up your phone, that'll help us a lot. All right. Um, yeah. Well, uh, maybe I can step in. Yeah, uh, doctor, go ahead. Bob. Yeah. Or better yet, let me give him my phone. Oh, I didn't realize you guys are in the same place. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that's even better. Okay, <laughs> David, go ahead, the, sir. Uh, the new the new district headquarters for uh, District 55 of the Convention of States is uh, Dunkin' Donuts right across from the college. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, perfect. Yeah, you sound a lot better now, David. So go ahead. I want to make sure people right, understand you, you clearly. Yes. Yeah, not long ago, uh, those who wanted to be in power coined a phrase, yes, we can. And once they got there, yes, you can, they turned around and looked at we the people and said, no, you can't. So <clears throat> that kind of triggered something within me to get involved. And being involved, uh, by definition, means that you become an activist. An activist is not necessarily someone who is militant. By no means is that, is that real. Um, an activist used to be people of ordinary uh, citizenship back in the day. They were farmers. They were, you know, you name it. They understood the importance of keeping the republic intact. And so they did something, either they gave their time, effort, monies, whatever, to keep our country uh, whole. So the uh, 19 states that are current, uh, Ohio is not one of them. Right. So I'm here to help uh, move Ohio across the finish line. And that's as easy as I could say it. You know, the pushback here, David, uh, is is extraordinary because of the three pillars here. So I just want to read them. The three pillars of the Convention of States movement are limit the scope and jurisdiction of the federal government. This one is a killer. Establish term limits on federal officials. It's hard to get people to put limits on their own careers and to try to put caps on their own careers when they want to make politics their career. Uh, and then establish a balanced budget. Again, nobody wants to be constrained or confined by the same type of budget that every responsible family in America has to do. You can't outspend what your income is. The federal government lives to outspend what their revenue generation is. So you can see why we only have 19 out of 50 states so far. And in fact, it's pretty remarkable that there are 19, considering those are the things people would be committing to, that the elected officials would be committing to. Well, the... um People tend not to take action when they're a little confused or don't have the right information. Uh, self-governance is the cornerstone of our in- entire country. Uh, after the American Revolution, the sovereign states, through their people, um, held that governmental held all governmental powers. For the convenience of the good of all, they assembled to create uh, a new, a brand new government. It was national in scope. Um, 
They gave it only specific enumerated powers to perform certain functions while keeping the idea of self-governance intact. The only powers that they gave to a centralized government were the establishing of a military force, creating a common currency, that's logical, uh, a uniform system of weights and measures, that's logical, and the regulation of interstate commerce. All of those things are very logical. Mm -hmm. The individual states could not have pulled that off on their own. But the function of the states could not efficiently perform individually those items. But the powers are listed in Article 1. The states retained all other powers, all of them. They retained to themselves for their sovereign exercise. Two years later, the Ten Commandments were added, the Bill of Rights, to make even more emphatic the strict limits on the new national government's power. But what happened? Over the years, Americans, you and I both, have witnessed an unprecedented expansion in the size and scope of this federal government that we now see, along with increasing instances of overreach and intrusion. Um, the, the indebtedness that we're in sometimes is not relatable. I told my wife a couple of months ago, I said, honey, I don't even know what a trillion dollars is. I can't even grasp the concept. So we sat down and we put this together and listen to the drama. If I were, if I were giving you change and giving you change uh, with $1 bills and each, each dollar um, I gave to you every second of the day, $1 million would take me 12 days to give you the change. Take it up a notch. Go, let's go to a billion dollars. It would take me 31 years to give you your change of a billion dollars. Take it to the next level. How about a trillion dollars? It would take me 31,688 years to give you change for a trillion dollars. And now our government is $30 trillion in debt. Yeah, it's it's really what hard happened? to quantify that and to wrap your brain around that. It's uh, it's it underscores why we do need what we we are talking about here. And for people who want to learn more about the Article Five Convention of States that is being pushed uh, for obviously constitutional purposes and for the savior saving of our republic, um, this is the event. It's Wednesday the twenty seventh, as noted, three p.m. student session. 5 p.m. Uh, 5 p.m. public session at Lorain County Community College in Illyria. Uh, the keynote speaker will be Dr. Ron Arndt, who is with us here. Uh, presentation by Ohio Senator Nathan Manning, and we've been talking also with David Freeman, who is uh, a, a part of this uh, organization and a part of this push. Gentlemen, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing the information, and I certainly appreciate what you're doing, along with along with a lot of other very important people who are dedicating and volunteering their time in all of these states to try to get this there. Um, we are we are in for a very, very hard fall as a republic if we don't correct some things, and I believe that a convention like this is, is, is the tool, is the means of that correction. So uh, please spread the word, and I hope, wish you a very well-attended, uh, and I'm going to try to get there myself. Again, you're not far from where I live at all. I'll try to get, get out there on Wednesday as well, but I hope it's a successful it, event, and I thank you both very much for the time. Can I add one last comment? Yeah, real quick. Uh, the, the only thing that we're asking people to do is to uh, listen, number one, understand uh, the importance of um, the, the time we're in, and um, if nothing else, find your name. That's it. There you go. Come prepared, ask questions, find your name, 
And if that's all you do, you're helping us move the ball forward across the finish line. That's right, because that's what they need to see down in Columbus. They need to see signatures from Ohioans uh, that want to be a part of this to save our republic. Uh, David Freeman and Dr. Ron Arndt, thank you both very much. And, uh, again, a great uh, event for you on Wednesday. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. All right. Wednesday the 27th, they will be at Lorain County Community College, and uh, I will try to get there myself. Hopefully you can, too. It's 1127. We'll take our time out here, take it to our newscast. And finally, after the news, if you want to make a phone call on this very busy day, this is a chance to do it. 216-901-0945 on Always Right Radio. the darkness of tyranny always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer always right radio wrapping three hours just about got a few minutes left here before we let bill o'reilly take it home until the top of the hour at the top of the hour i'm going to continue on the dennis prager show i'll be with you until three o'clock on prager so i'll be taking calls nationwide uh but i always try to give preference to my friends in cleveland so if you call the national number uh, you can still uh, engage in conversation about all these important things we've been discussing here today. It's just going to be on the national show instead. Let's go to uh, my friend Lisa Woods in Medina. I knew we would have her, especially since uh, tomorrow is a McFan Saturday. Hey, Lisa, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I can't tell you how excited I am. Tomorrow's going to be such a huge day. And I, I want to thank you for... Uh, being willing to come out and speak to us tomorrow. I don't, don't think thank I me. You haven't heard remember. me. Spe- you haven't heard me speak yet. You know, <laughs> you better wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll wait till afterwards. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know what you're going to get. I'll be honest with you. This is, I'm about to do my ninth hour. I'm in, a, I'm, in, I'm in the middle of nine hours on the air today. If I have anything left, I'll give it to you tomorrow morning. Otherwise, I may be sign language. You, language you are in the a message. superstar. Uh, I'm just yeah, a nut. That's you, what I am. You are a superstar. <laughs> anyway, but no, I'm looking forward to it, certainly. But uh, tell us what else is going on. Okay. Well, well, I just wanted to let you know that I, I don't ever remember ha- knowing so many people that are still undecided on some of these races. I, I honestly, I don't know who I'm going to pull the lever for yet for U.S. Senate. I had made up my mind probably five times and have changed <laughs> it. So <laughs> uh, and you're going to find a lot of people that are uh, in that boat, and also with some of the other. Uh, some of the other races so we'll really appreciate your insight and um i'm sure folks will have some some questions that uh that they'll have to to, to help make that decision yeah well you know the the i'm with you though lisa i i have not made up my mind yet either uh which is why i have not issued any kind of an endorsement in this race there are some things i don't like about some of the candidates that i've seen uh, including candidates that i overall like but things that they've done or said that i don't like a lot that have influenced me a lot here a lot here so people are really going to have to look deep in their heart and kind of try to decide what they can forgive what they can forget what they can put aside what they can't put aside what is acceptable in a u.s senator for them and what is not but also and this is something Something I think has to be considered when we think when we think about what President Trump did with his endorsement is um, we have to think about the general election. We have to figure who can beat Tim Ryan, and he thinks President Trump that is that J.D. Vance is that guy. So can people, if they don't like everything J.D. Vance has said, 
and stood for, put all of that aside in order to win the race and make it a red seat and not a blue seat. Those are things we all have to discuss and we all have to think about, like I said, deep in our hearts. So I'll offer as much commentary as I can on that tomorrow. But at the end of the day, it's a very, very hard call to make, I think. I, I think anything can happen, too. So uh, it'll be an exciting primary, and we're very excited to hear what you have to say. Well, um, I look forward to the to the meeting. <laughs> okay, fantastic. And also, uh, I encourage folks to go to the Strongsville uh, um, website. It's the strongsvillegop.org. I think the buses are uh, the the deadline to sign up for the bus trip has closed, but it does have other information about the tailgate party. So folks should take a look at that. Um, wow, what a day! Are you going there, Bob? No, I'm not going to Delaware. Uh, it's uh, it's not uh, it's not feasible for me to do that. But I know I had Shannon on yesterday. He was talking about all the events that well, the event happened last night, another big one tonight. Then of course our meeting tomorrow morning, and then the bus trip, and then the the party or the reception, if you will, once the buses return. Uh, you know they're going to continue at it. So it's really a great time uh, to have a lot of camaraderie and a lot of uh, uh, excitement for like-minded people who are trying to support uh, this this you know uh, this movement to put conservatives back in charge of our government. So I know a lot of people are going to right. be, you know, a lot of people are going to have a lot of very important decisions to make, and tomorrow I think tomorrow today and tomorrow should really help them do that. So we're looking forward to yeah. it. Uh, so for McFan, eight thirty, Thirsty Cowboy in Medina tomorrow morning, and I will be uh, one of the speakers. So I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you, Thanks thank you, so Lisa. Much. We'll see you then. You got it. Always a pleasure. Let me go to Rick and Lorraine. Hi, Rick. You're on the air. Go ahead. I might have misunderstood you, but I thought you said. The Convention of States is two-thirds of the states, which is 34. Mm-hmm. Then the other 16 states have to pass the exact same amendment. Uh, There's actually no. only four other states. Only three-quarters of the states have to approve the amendment. Yeah, I, I don't think Dr. Arndt or uh, or David said that they all have to pass the same amendment. It's the, uh, it's the part about getting the convention, to hold the convention. You do need the 34 states, and they are all voting on the same thing. That language has to be the same, to bring everybody under the same umbrella, uh, all 34 states. And you're right, there are 19 that have already passed it. Uh, there are 16 that are considering it, but the language isn't different in every state. The language has to be the same language to bring everybody together to then decide, are they going to do anything to amend the Constitution? Okay, but after they decide, then another four states have to yes. approve it. Yes, that is my understanding of it as well. But I, but okay, I misunderstood you. Yeah, I, I didn't you hear anybody all... mention that, or else I might have clarified it, too. Um, so... Uh, one of us didn't hear it right, but uh, but I believe that is that is correct. Three quarters of the states in attendance then have to uh, to vote to amend it. Right, and then three quarters of the states have to approve it. So another four states, right? Uh, Thirty-eight states is three quarters. Right. Right. Okay, I just wanted to be clear on that. Okay, thank you. thank you. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. Obviously, it sounds like you're going to be there, and uh, and I hope a lot of people are, too. You don't have to be from Lorain County, as Rick is there, to go to that at Lorain County Community College uh, on Wednesday. I think it's a worthwhile event to attend. Charlie is in Westlake. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, Bob. What a great show today. Thank you. Uh, and always. Hey, uh, I'm going to get one of those Buffalo burgers, too. I, I'm going to give it a try. Good. So, hey. They're really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a try. 
even if it's Friday out, and there's no, it's not Lent anymore. So, hey, last night I went to this Josh Mandel event. General Flynn did an excellent job. But he he repeatedly stood on the edge of the stage saying, we are at the precipice. We are about to fall over. And then you have Janet Folger saying the heartbeat bill is going to save America. And I started thinking, you know, this heartbeat bill might just save America because if we get rid of abortion, and these are, these are Trump appointees, if we get rid of abortion, it's the Trump it's the Trump Supreme Court gets rid of abortion this year. It's going to change the culture. It's going to change our people will not will have consequences for promiscuity. And, and that, that's a big change. It may just be the spark that changes America back. I hope. Well, to be clear, and thank you, Charlie, for the call. To be clear, even if the Trump, uh, I can't call it the Trump Supreme Court. I know he's got three members of it. But if the Supreme Court does roll it back, all it does is send it to the states. It doesn't outlaw abortion. It just means every state can make up their own minds, and so you would still have the uh, the scourge of abortion. Thanks to everyone for this part. Uh, I'll talk to you on the Prager Show next time, and well, that's later today. Let's go, Brandon.